Lamentations 3, 1 to 33. I am the Lord who has seen affliction by the rod of Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walked me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Well, good morning, and uh, thank you to those who've led in the service already. Uh, Norman said earlier on that uh, Lamentations is not a book that we read from very often. Uh, Thank you to Penny for uh, reading it for us, and having listened, perhaps we know why. (laughs) That was a tough passage, wasn't it? Well, let's see. It is God's Word, and God's Word is nothing if not honest with us. A native of Kentucky in the United States, Thomas Chisholm was born in 1866, around about the time that Bobby was lying in Greyfriars, or sitting in Greyfriars. Thomas Chisholm, born in 1866, converted and becoming a follower of Christ at the age of 27, 
appointed a pastor at 36, but ministering only one year due to ill health, which would plague him the rest of his days. Chisholm found employment as a life insurance agent in New Jersey, passing away his free time writing poetry. One of his poems, written in 1923, is well known today. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Converted to Christ, schooled in the Bible, called to the ministry, but devastated one year into a pastorate by ill health, which would keep him from his life's calling. I wonder how Thomas Chisholm felt. Do you think his first words were, great is thy faithfulness? Perhaps. But then again, perhaps not. Indeed, it would be 20 years after leaving the ministry before he would pen those words. The same, of course, can be true for us when unexpectedly our circumstances turn, leading even to the prevention of all that we thought lay ahead of us. Maybe that's your story as well as Thomas Chisholm's. Perhaps it's a place to study that we didn't get, or a job. Maybe a relationship doesn't work out, or illness strikes the family and changes the course of your life. In such circumstances, it's hard for our first words to be, great is your faithfulness, O God my Father. Maybe we even struggle to sing the words, perplexed as others around us sing them with gusto. Yet here we are with these words of Chisholm's in the first verse of his hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. What are we to make of them? Well, notice first of all what Chisholm did not write. He did not write, there is no shadow of turning for us. He did not write, we change not. Our circumstances, they fail not. He did not write, as we have been, we forever will be. No, Chisholm reminds us that it is God who does not turn, but we do. Our circumstances do change, and we change in them and as a result of them. When things have been going well, we might wish that as we have been, we forever will be. But we know that this is simply not true. I'd like us to look this morning at why it is nevertheless right to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But not just to look at the message of the hymn, but also at the passage on which the hymn's first verse and chorus depend, Lamentations 3. 
So if you will, would you have your Bibles open in front of you? We'll be whizzing through Lamentations 3 as well as going through the, uh, the verses of the hymn. And we'll skip backwards and forwards. So Lamentations 3, and in particular those uh, verses that were highlighted earlier from verse 21. Have a look at verse 21, where the tone changes. And we read, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It will be helpful, as always, for us to understand the context here. Um, Just as we may be surprised that a man called to a ministry which was unfulfilled... That was Thomas Chisholm's experience. Just as we might be surprised that Thomas Chisholm might write of God's faithfulness, so we may also be surprised that faithfulness is Jeremiah's. uh, The the likely author of Lamentations, we think, is the prophet Jeremiah. That Jeremiah's uh, focus will be faithfulness in the light of all that has come before Now, we don't have time to consider the whole of Lamentations. But the context is almost certainly the terrible siege of Jerusalem, which took place in 587 BC, and which led to its fall and to the exile of its people to Babylon. They were terrible days. And if you want to read more of it, read the earlier parts of Lamentations, but do so if you have a strong stomach. We've heard of the terrible things happening in Ukraine. We're pleased that many people have managed to escape. In the siege of Jerusalem, there was no escape. They were hemmed in by the Babylonians. Let's look briefly at the story that Jeremiah tells. We'll just look through the reading that we had in chapter 3. We'll go at speed here. First of all, he sums things up in verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Do you get the gut-wrenching thoughts as he thinks back? In other words, life has been awful, just dreadful. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, he describes his circumstances, his affliction, as the rod of the Lord's wrath. At verse 5, at verse 5, he tells us of the bitterness and the hardship he has known. At verse 6, his most telling description, matching his words from verse 2, is to say that he has been dwelling in darkness. Maybe you know what that's like. All of us have times in life where, although once we could see clearly and knew where we were going, those days can seem a distant memory. All may seem to have turned to darkness and confusion. I wonder if you empathize with with Jeremiah. And then by verse 9, not only is the way ahead unclear, but it also seems blocked. Have you ever been there? Come to verse 15, and this is all too much. It's like eating bitter herbs and and drinking bitter wine. 
No wonder he cries out in despair at verse 18. My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. What do we do when we reach such depths? Give up. Walk away. The temptation is strong. Perhaps we have walked away. Maybe even just a little. And if we are honest, we need to be honest. If we are honest with ourselves, then we are not quite sure where we stand just at the moment. Do you notice Jeremiah's honesty in verse 19? He remembers his affliction, yes, but also his wandering. He remembers the pain contained within it. He well remembers it all, we're told in verse 20. One commentator reminds us that that kind of memory arises unbidden. Have you had the flashbacks? Do you find yourself unable to shake the memories out of your head? Is your soul downcast within you? Verse 20. The Bible always shows us the realities of life, the bad as well as the goods. And for Jeremiah, it doesn't seem to get much worse than this. And I guess that at times, that was the the same for Thomas Chisholm. But the Bible also shows us the way to respond. Look at verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Who would expect that word in the light of all that has come before? Therefore I have hope. Now, we need to be clear just how much of a turning point this verse is, verse 21. This calling to mind, well, when you read it that way in the English, it seems like just another thought. But when you dig underneath it to the Hebrew verb, you find that this verb means something more like this. This I I cause to return to my heart. This I cause to return to my heart. Maybe my heart's not quite where it should be. Maybe it's more empty than it should be. This I cause to return to my heart. This is deliberate. This is conscious. This is an I will action of the will. I was trying to think how to illustrate it. Um, Two or three years ago, Uh, My brother was uh, injured really quite badly, and I saw him in hospital, and we discussed how we would uh, talk to our mother about this. Our mother at the time had some dementia. She suffered from Alzheimer's. And those of you who know about Alzheimer's, you you know you can remember 50 years ago, but you can't remember two minutes ago. And I went to see her. And I told her about my brother, that he was in hospital. And I'll never forget the look of concentration on her face. You know, that mother's instinct never leaves. Her laddie was hurt. Tell me what you've just told me again, she said. What's happened to him? And I told her again. What, 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 what is it you're telling me? Tell me again. And I told her again, what's happened to him? Where is he? And you could see her fighting the dementia. She wanted to know about her laddie. 
And when she'd got it in there, she said, I want to go and see him. Because that's what mothers do. It was the same intensity that I saw on my mother's face there that is in this Hebrew verb. Christopher Wright, in his uh, commentary in the Bible Speaks Today series, calls it a deliberate, determined, teeth-gritting decision to call something to mind. I wonder how the residents of Jerusalem felt under siege. I wonder how Thomas Chisholm felt having been called to the ministry, but then having to abandon it after just one year to be, well, forgive me if you're an insurance agent, but to abandon the ministry to go and sell insurance. (laughs) Wasn't the gospel the greatest of all insurances? What do you do if your circumstances are equally perplexing? Verse 21, yet this I cause to return to my heart, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. What we need to do in difficult circumstances is exactly what Jeremiah did. For at verse 22, Jeremiah consciously drags back into his mind a fact perhaps long forgotten. His compassions never fail. His compassions never fail. In times of great stress and difficulty, we do well to remind ourselves of old truths. Our times may change, but the truths of God never change. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Even on those mornings of days we dread. Those mornings when we wake and wish we hadn't. Even then, even then, we see new mercies. Or perhaps I should say, new mercies are there to be seen. Are we looking? We'll never know what turmoil or inward spiritual discipline Thomas Chisholm might have gone through to bring himself to the place where he could write the words of his chorus. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We cannot know what Thomas Chisholm went through, nor can I know what you are going through. But these are the words to sing. Notice something more, however. Notice that God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, the focus of Chisholm's chorus comes hand in hand when we read verses 22 and 23 in Lamentations. God's faithfulness comes hand in hand with his steadfast love. Now, if you, like me, are reading the NIV, you won't see those words. And here I think the NIV, which I routinely use, here I think it's deficient, actually, in its its translation. For it takes that great biblical word... That great Hebrew word, chesed in Hebrew, 
And it translates at the NIV merely as love. We're stretching, albeit in verse 22, to great love. But this is not enough. The ESV, I think, is right to describe it consistently as God's steadfast love. It is the love which always exudes from God. It is the love which only God can give. It is the love by which God describes himself. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 34, God passed before Moses? And as he did so, he proclaimed these words to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in two things. Chesed, a steadfast love faithfulness by which we may trust him always to display his steadfast love. Notice also that it's not our faithfulness, for it fails, we fail, but his faithfulness, which never fails and on which we can depend. How did Chisholm try to convey this? I wonder if he thought to himself, where do we see this same unerring, unending pattern of constancy in our lives? And my guess is he thought of nature. Here's his second verse, I think. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon and stars and their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Just as we can rely on the constant patterns of nature, so we can rely on this constant, steadfast love of God, his faithfulness, mercy, and love. I wonder if Chisholm had to take himself in hand and remind himself of something important. And this is even more of a shocker for us today uh, in the 21st century. I wonder if he had to remind himself that actually life wasn't all about him. It was actually more important to focus on God. The course of Thomas Chisholm's life may have turned sour, but God had not changed. What shall we do when life turns sour? What shall we do when dreams fall flat? Then, then more than at any other time, then, then is the time when we must take ourselves in hand, as I guess Chisholm must have, and as the writer of Lamentations certainly did, and summon up the full weight of that Hebrew verb in verse 21, this I call to mind, this I cause to return to my heart. At this point, I make a deliberate, determined, teeth-gritting decision to call to mind that the Lord does not change. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And then, then 
we will be able to address God face to face. I wonder if you noticed, it's very subtle, but it's there. All through this chapter, Lamentations 3, God has been spoken about, not spoken to. The Lord, he, him, his. But when this resolute decision of the will has been made, we will remember the Lord then we cannot help but turn to him in worship. Great is your faithfulness. Face to face, we say to him. It's not merely enough to talk about God. Don't talk about him. I mean, when we talk about God, we keep him at arm's length. Worse still, we may be guilty of creating a lesser God, one that we can keep in the place that we want for him, and and, and he can serve us, and we can blame him. No, friends, we were made for worship. We were made for relationship with the God who reveals himself to us. Jeremiah now turns to God in worship. Great is your faithfulness. It's interesting to follow through on what happens next in chapter 3 of Lamentations. For now, the writer continues, having made his decision, having given voice to his worship, now in verse 24, he preaches to himself, takes himself in hand again. His eyes have been taken from his circumstances. His mouth has spoken praise of God. Now he reminds himself, verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. That's the right thing to do. Sometimes that's the only thing we can do. To say to ourselves that God is our portion. That what he has for us is all that we need, that he himself is all that we need, and that we will wait for him. Isn't that the most difficult thing? When life is difficult, when relationships turn sour, when we need to move on, and he calls us to wait. In the midst of the most awful city siege in Jerusalem, Jeremiah dealt with that. And to keep himself going, notice that he looks outward, not inward. He not only preaches to himself, but from verse 25, he begins to witness and to share testimony. He tells of how good the Lord is in verse 25. And how the best thing we can do, verse 26, is to wait for salvation to come from the Lord. Then at verses 28 and 29, Jeremiah invites us to do something strange. To, Sorry, I, I beg your pardon. In verses 28 to 29, he gives testimony of how things have been. 
he sits alone in silence. And sitting alone in silence is never easy. Isolation is painful to bear. And some of us know more of that than others. But how do we respond? Well, in verse 29, Jeremiah invites us to bury our faces in the dust. It's an unusual thing to do. What does it mean? Well, in those days, in the Middle East, it was a visible sign of complete submission. Don't we always want to work to change our circumstances? It's understandable. But sometimes we need to submit. Not necessarily to our situation, but to God in our situation. For he is in it with us. Sometimes we need to wait. Wait for him to bring change. And we need to let others see us doing that. Do you remember uh, Daniel's three friends? In, uh, in the fiery furnace. Do you remember that story? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said to the king. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not. We want you to know that we will not serve your gods. Or worship the images of gold that you have set up. Even if he does not. Here we are. We wait for God. No matter how God acts. We place ourselves in his hands. We will not go any other way but his. There is a time to sit alone in silence. Our resolve made up. Our trust placed in God. Our testimony given even in the starkest of circumstances. That's hard, isn't it? Maybe that's too hard. Wow. I'm not up for that. But you know, it's the way of the pilgrim. It's the way of the follower of God. It's the way that we need to learn. Maybe we're not quite there yet and thinking we can't do that, but Life's a learning journey. It's the way set out for those of us who have been saved by God. Did you notice verse 26? It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Chisholm takes up the theme of salvation in his final verse. Not salvation from the calamity of a siege at Jerusalem, but salvation from an even greater calamity. Not one brought upon us by an external army, but by our own rebellion against God. For in his third verse, Chisholm talks of that last and greatest promise of God through his steadfast love, salvation from our sin. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine, ten thousand besides, pardon for sin, and a peace that endureth. This is the promise of God, 
that our greatest barrier to his steadfast love, the sin of our hearts, can be removed. Our sin pardoned. A peace from God received. God's presence known. And not only strength for today. Chisholm, I am sure, Thomas Chisholm needed strength every day to maintain his work as an insurance agent when he had thought that he would be a pastor. Maybe you're looking for strength for today in your circumstances. It's not wrong to need that, to want it, and to look to God for it. But God has more to offer you. He has compassion to show you. So great is his unfailing love. He offers you bright hope. Bright hope for tomorrow. We call it the hope of the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus has come and lived and died and risen from the dead to rescue us from our sins. Reaching out to him and accepting his forgiveness brings blessings. Do you know it? Can you sing it? Blessings all mine. Can't believe it. All mine. With 10,000 beside. Well, I pray God that you may be able to do just that today. And if you do already know him. That when difficult circumstances come along. Maybe you're in them right now. You will resolve in your heart. To turn to God face to face. And to worship him which is his due. And to say to him. No matter your circumstances. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Let's just spend a moment in quiet prayer. Whatever our circumstances, full of joy or full of fear, we come to you, our God and our Father, and we remind ourselves that great is your faithfulness. We acknowledge before you that our faithfulness has wavered. But we say to you, and we worship you with the words, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you will meet us in our need today. Amen.